You two really are cowboys, said the Iceman. Maverick replied, What's your problem, Kaczynski? The Iceman said, You're everyone's problem. That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous. Maverick replied, That's right, Iceman. I am dangerous. Recognize this quotes movie? Stay tuned to find out or check out the title of this episode of Talking Pictures Trivia. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom. Additionally, joining us as guests this week are... Doug. Justin. Thanks for joining us. Justin has joined us for Back to the Future and Batman 1989. Doug has joined us for numerous episodes, including the inaugural Raiders of the Lost Ark, Solaris, and American Graffiti. Justin and Doug conveniently like movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, and in round two, each question is worth two points. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we follow it up with our famous movie rant, Where Anything Goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Today, we are going back to 1986. Pixar Animation Studios is formed. Clint Eastwood is elected mayor of Carmel, California, and Whitney Houston wins the MTV Video Music Award for Best New Artist. During all of this, Tony Scott's movie Top Gun was released in theaters alongside Tom Cruise's Legend, Short Circuit, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Karate Kid Part Two, and My Little Pony the movie. Nick will be quizzing us today. Nick, what is Top Gun all about? Tom, that's a great question. I'm hoping we can explore this further throughout this episode because I'm still wondering a bit what it is about. The one thing I do know is there's a fighter pilot named Maverick who's very dangerous. He's the second best until someone else can't handle it anymore. And then he goes to Top Gun. He has a really endearing co-pilot goose who unfortunately dies in a tragedy and mistake and error whatever then he competes with a really good pilot who's very disciplined but some is he a bad guy i'm not, I'm not really sure we'll, we'll talk about it and then they graduate and go to a battle with an anonymous enemy and save the day the end tom if you only had one word to describe Top Gun, what would it be? Mechanophilia. Doug? Dangerous. Justin? I would say dog fights. And hopefully I don't blow up the internet right now, but my word would be overrated. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh... This week, I'm going to add an additional rule. All questions will follow the price is right rules with the closest to the number without going over wins the point or points, depending on the round. 
It's time for question one. How many times do we hear Kenny Loggins playing with the boys? Locked in. <laughs> Locked in. Or should I say missile lock? Ah. <laughs> lock? Locked on. Ah, <laughs> oh, the puns are flying today. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to start with Justin. How many times? I just want to clarify. Is that Danger Zone? No. No. No, it's not. It's a different no. Kenny Loggins song. Playing with the boys. Playing with the boys. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, three? I don't know which. I can't think of which song that is. Oh no, no, that's okay. the one where they were. Right? Don't. Oh, actually, everyone's locked in. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> okay, that's that's the last song at, at the end, and it was with him and the girl, right? Um, no, it's no. the song Maver- when where they say playing with the boys and boys are playing. <laughs> I would say two times. Okay, Doug. I'm gonna go with one. Tom. I thought they played it twice, but I honestly cannot even hear the melody even after having just watched the movie. So I, I, I'm going to say twice because that's what I locked in, but I think Doug is going to win. Well, Doug is very close. Doug's going to get the points, but the real answer is one epic time. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, this is the famous um shirtless volleyball scene uh where they're playing with the boys very competitive fighter pilots do when they're really trying to blow off some steam they play some intense volleyball so that's where this one came in except for goose for some reason he still has a shirt on that's true (laughs) (laughs) yeah the other guys yeah he was uh it's apparently so how they got them how kenny loggins actually got the the contract for the the music is that they finish the movie and then what they do is they invite a bunch of musicians to come in and watch it and write music for certain scenes and then submit it and Kenny Loggins was the one who saw the volleyball scene and went let's submit to that because no one else will and that's how he he got the contract for the Oh, cool. I actually didn't know that. (laughs) Kenny, yeah, Kenny Loggins also wrote my parents' wedding songs. And not personally for them, but (laughs) yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, I I would have guessed the other way around that they started with the music and then it's like, what would go with this? No, (laughs) this was yeah, this was whole thing was like a star vehicle for Tom Cruise. Apparently he was on the he was on magazine covers everywhere. This was you were not only watching a Navy recruitment video, you were watching a star making video. That is a perfect segue to the topic of the first question, which will be taking place in the form of a question. Ah. Why are we Team Maverick? Or are we Team Maverick? Why? <laughs> because we're told to be. I, you know, it's he's, he's a romantic figure, right? He's a Byronic figure. He's somebody who can do the impossible. He has a certain genius, we're told, for flying. And... He also has a certain genius for women. He apparently beds quite a lot of them, according to Meg Ryan, who, by the way, this is the first time I'll say this. My favorite part of this movie was Meg Ryan. It's wow. Let's, let's clip that in right which, there. <laughs> yeah, in, in which that will ever be true. Um, because I'm not a Meg Ryan fan, but uh, so we find him uh, appealing because he is he is this guy who plays by his own rules even though he's in the navy he does something extremely dangerous very well and he's also extremely appealing to women that's not 
what really happens with Val Kilmer's Iceman, who is, you know, um, uh, he, he's not somebody who has this kind of romantic spirit. He plays by the rules. He's not a, he's not a Byronic figure. He's not heroic in the same way that Maverick is because Maverick does it from his own kind of personality and his own talent. Tom, of course I know what Byronic means, but would yeah. you please define that for our listening audience? Of course. Nicole. Before we turn it into a drinking Uh-oh. game. <laughs> anyway, so Byron was a poet of the Romantic era who, um, you know, kind of wrote the, the, these Byronic verses, uh, but he also went overseas and served in, in the Greek War back in the... 1830s, I think it was. And so he combines that kind of romantic individualism with uh, a sort of martial virtue, a a kind of brave thing. He's also famous for these like long feats of swimming he would do. So another kind of demonstration of physical vertility. And he was also apparently, he got around with the ladies, uh, including his own sister. But um, Oh, wait. Yeah. Controversial, uh, (laughs) to say the least. But, you know, that's the Byronic figure, right? It's somebody who's brave, somebody whose um, actions come from their own individuality and not from society, and someone who is also very libidinous, very sexual. So I I think, you know, obviously, you start off the movie uh, you know, focused on him, but I think, you know, he's, he's, um, you know, he he has this, this genius and he's, you know, kind of playful, but, you know, he's got this chip on his shoulder and you, you kind of find that out over the course of the movie. And that's because his father, uh, his father, well, officially disappeared. And the rumor is that, you know, he did something wrong or, or maybe he went AWOL or, or something, but it's very, uh, the circumstances were dishonorable. And so he's got this chip on his shoulder because, you know, he, he thinks his old man was great, but, um, you know, apparently the, uh, the people in the Navy think poorly on his family name. So he's got, you know, this chip on his shoulder that he, you know, he wants to be the best and kind of redeem his father in a way. And I think that's kind of like the driving force uh, behind him. You know, he he likes to have fun and show off, but I think that's, you know, kind of like the the serious side of him. Yeah, pretty much forced to, you know, to be on his team. It's like um, Val Kilmer, Iceman, he's not very charismatic or, you know, much of any anything except, you know, cold, calculated. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, he comes off a bit bratty and emotional, but I guess that's also what gives him the, um, you know, not like Tom was saying, doesn't really follow, you know, the rules and, you know, just does his own thing, which can add risk, but also reward too, you know. So overall, I'd say he's all right. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Justin's review. Overall, he's all right. <laughs> It's time for question two. Back to Kenny Loggins. How many times do we hear Danger Zone play in the film? Locked in. Miss a lock. Yeah. Lock. Locked on target. (laughs) Okay. Here we go. So, Justin, I'm starting with you. The last one. 
kind of torn between four and five, but let's go for it like uh, Maverick would, five. Okay, Doug? I will go with three, and I think I can name them. <laughs> okay, Tom? I also had three, but I can't name them. <laughs> I, I didn't two. I was going to say, I didn't require, but we can discuss it if Doug knows them all. The answer is three, so Doug and Tom will get the point. Okay, uh, Doug, would you like to share the three times? All right, so the first one is in the beginning when they first uh, they're showing the aircraft carrier. And then the second was when they changed uh, locations to uh, Miramar. And then the third is, I think when they go up, actually I have in my notes here, let me make sure. Yeah, into, into the fateful uh, last flight um, where Goose dies, there's danger zone uh, at the beginning of that one. A truly dangerous zone after all. Mm. Yep. So I just, yes. Kenny Loggins made bank on this film. And I still can't believe that the film was done before all this music was inserted because I cannot imagine what this film looked like without this lyrics, but we'll talk, or without the music, but we'll talk about that a little later. What I wanna discuss for this question, again, in the form of a question is antagonist who? (laughs) Who is the antagonist of this film? Or what? Well, um, so so they fly Russian planes and they wear uh, Russian symbols on their helmet, helmets, but we're really not sure where they're from. <laughs> it's true because um, the MiGs were produced there, but they also were sold to other areas. But yeah, I, 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 I think they probably didn't want to upset Russia, but I still think that that was the Soviet Union times. So you're in Cold yeah, War. Yeah. yeah. It's still Soviet Union. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, and it's also, you don't really feel like they're an enemy. I, I, I honestly cannot figure out, I guess that a ship has gone into international waters in the Indian Ocean, and that's possibly going to irritate the... There, there isn't a, a kind of sense that these people are are dangerous. And honestly, for most of the movie, you don't know the problem is going to rise at the end. And so the whole, the actual conflict is really, I think if we, if we think of dramatic conflict as being a a collection of different variables, either like man against man, man against himself, man against society, man against God, man against fate, something like that. This is really kind of a man against himself. The, the real person that Maverick has to conquer is his own sort of ego and and the chip on his shoulder Doug mentioned um that seems to be what most of the movie is about my problem with the movie is like there isn't really a consequence for almost all of the runtime if Maverick fails to conquer his own ego and it's a little unclear if he ever does or if it ever really mattered to begin with I mean he won't become number one in the class he'll still graduate and be able to do whatever he wants, which is what happens anyway. You know, he, he doesn't become number one in the class. Uh, and so I think the the whole man against himself, having to conquer your own demons and whatnot, is sort of undercut by the fact that there isn't a tremendous amount of need for him to actually undercut or, or conquer his own demons. What I always thought was interesting, they tried to make Iceman as a pseudo-villain, but when I was paying attention to it, specifically in this watch, 
He's a villain because he's actually the ideal pilot who follows the rules and is just very specific and, and doesn't deviate from the cool, common, collected state that a fighter pilot should have. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's tough to figure out where they're going. Say, you know, the only case you can make for that is that he does purposely get in front of Maverick and Goose. Uh, you know, kind of blocking them from the uh, from engaging the target. So at this point, they're they're playing on the same team, so they can't shoot each other. Uh, but he can prevent Maverick um, just by you know getting in the way. And because he does this, um, you know, it's unintentional. But his jet wash is what causes uh, Maverick to lose control of the plane. So you know, you can. There's an argument that you could blame him, although it's really not anybody's fault really but it doesn't carry through i do agree with you at that part of the film because at the end they're like you could be my wingman any day <laughs> you know like <laughs> it's not a bond villain <laughs> yeah well he they you know they he makes up you know maverick uh you know makes up for it by saving his life so everything is good then <laughs> mm-hmm. well most of the movie it was like training I thought, I, I, honestly, I thought that the guys in, in the MiG were just on their side, uh, like enemies, like fake enemies of training and, until the end when they said, okay, we have a real thing. Um, the that, first one is real though, right? Is that wrong? When they're on the it's, aircraft carrier. Yeah. When he does that special maneuver, mm-hmm. that one's a real MiG. When he went upside down? Yes. Yeah. To, to look at them? Okay. So. Yeah, they, but the they, other they ones are all training. Again, the movie. It was, it was, yeah. So it was, it was real, but there wasn't, the stakes weren't that high because they were just trying to like kind of scare them off. Surveillance. Like getting missile lock. Well, you know, they would get missile lock to try to scare them away without actually firing. Yeah. Because um, they're not allowed to fire unless they get fired upon. And then presumably the other side has the same rules of engagement. So they just kind of mess with each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I thought that was the training exercise. It's a big power. Yeah. Well, that was just in the beginning mm-hmm. because the, you know, yeah. the other guy, I think Cougar, he gets, he gets really shaken up. And you know he can't yeah. he can't land the plane uh, without some help. Oh, so I guess that's me. I was wondering. I was like, wow, he really got shaken up, and it's a training. I had the same thought on this watch because I guess I, guess I forgot was, a yeah. little bit. But I was yeah. like, why is this guy getting so bent out of shape? And yeah. then I was like, oh wait, yes, that was the real so one. Then they go to Top yeah. Gun. Okay. But the other thing to I think that you find out later later on is most of the pilots, you know, in Top Gun, you know, they're the best pilots, but most of them have never actually seen. Uh, enemy aircraft or at least they haven't seen migs which are like the most fearsome yeah enemy so they're you know they're doing the training but they haven't actually seen real combat so mm-hmm. that kind of makes that first first sequence scarier i was gonna say and that's what uh kelly mcginnis's character is so interested in maverick in tom um, tom cruise's character because he has this experience that nobody else seems to have had actually dealing with a mig carnal knowledge yeah <laughs> Exactly. Mm -hmm. When I asked myself this question while I was preparing for this episode, my thought was the Mikoyan Gurevich itself, the MiG, was the antagonist. Just the thought of this MiG. It didn't matter who was in it, what country they represented, that was the antagonist. (laughs) You don't know they're coming back, though. Right? Like that's the that's kind of the problem with the movie is that most of it is about winning a trophy that's not that actually not that important 
After round one, Doug is in the lead with two points. Tom has one point, and Justin is still with us. But don't worry, the questions in round two are all worth two points. We'll be right back after this brief message from one of our valued sponsors. Hello, and, and welcome, welcome back, back to B-Side. B-Side. To B-Side. To B-Side. Finally, it is B-Side. Today we're going to be talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We're going to be discussing the famous W.F. Murnau film from 1927, Sunrise. The Icelandic movie from 2015, Rams. Juzo Itami's 1985 picture, Tam Popo. And today I'm going to be talking about a good old film that we just covered, and this is 1984's Ghostbusters. Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side, wherever you listen to Talking Pictures Trivia. And we're back. We're at the critical point of our episode where we ask our guests a key question. If you could write your own sequel for Top Gun 2, it doesn't have to relate to the new Top Gun 2 that's coming out and inspired us to rewatch this film. What would it be? Who would like to start? Justin, perhaps? Sure. It would be more action, more more meaning, you know, more, um, I would say, Maverick and Iceman, like at war, you know, maybe on the same team together. Just, you know, we have better special effects these days. Just make something really, you know, aggressive, nonstop action. Um, A little less on the love story. That was a a bit of excessive. It's quite possible this is the Top Gun 2 coming out. Did you get credit for this, Justin? I haven't even seen. <laughs> no, it's not out yet, but I, it's, I, I wouldn't doubt. I haven't even seen the everything you're saying is in the new one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, just, you know, go with the best special effects you got and uh, maybe against, well, I don't know. I don't know how China's Air Force is or Russia. I'm not sure who would be the, you know, the enemy. But How about uh, both? <laughs> I, I I'm not sure Russia is, is as fearsome right, right now. <laughs> but again, they're, but, they're on the same yeah. team, you know. Um, or I would say let's 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 put the global the globalists as the enemy. Oh, <laughs> let's put the the world. You're gonna bomb Davos? Is that right? <laughs> exactly. we're, tu- we're turning this one up we're, a notch? We we're actually going to war with Switzerland. That's the plot. <laughs> Top Gun too. Yep. Klaus, okay. Klaus Schwartz gets missiled at the end. Klaus, Klaus, Klaus Schwab. Yeah, Klaus Schwab, the uh, blown out the freaking thing. What is this thing called? <laughs> what is Schwab's thing called? It's not Build Back Better. What is it? It's the, the World uh, Economic Forum. We're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, but I, if we do a whole nother podcast, that, yeah, that, yeah, t- yeah. that took a turn. <laughs> so, so Doug, which I'm sure it's, I was gonna say, I'm sure it's a little different than uh, than Justin's take. Uh, so, what I hear or what I've read about the new one that's actually being made seems, you know, pretty perfect. And or at least the, the initial premise is that they have Cruz's son being trained by Tom Cruise's character. Uh, but you know, if I had to come up with something very different, it would be with Maverick and Iceman teaming up, but instead in in a school or, you know, in a tournament setting, 
but instead of flying planes, it's going to be volleyball. Ah, oh, high stakes volleyball. Very yep. good. Yeah. And somehow somebody dies by uh, hitting their head on a volleyball post, <laughs> <laughs> and tragedy ensues. I I, st- I want to do the Maverick slash Iceman fanfic, you know the the softcore fanfic. For, oh for, no! <laughs> for, for all those fan fiction readers out there. I think it's time we move to round two. Yeah. <laughs> it's time for question three. You may start to see a trend with these questions. Is it also about the soundtrack? Is it about Kenny Loggins? Is it about Kenny Loggins' first hit? We're actually- It's Danny's song. I know it already. No, we're we're staying within the film, but we are going to move to a different artist. We're going to go to, how about Berlin's Take My Breath Away? What's the count? Oh, I'm going to lock in. Right? Am I going to lock in? lock. Uh, I'm, I, yeah, I have something locked. I locked, so I got to keep it. All right. So I think, I think this one has came up more often than Danger Zone, but uh, at like shorter clips. So I'm going to go with four. I'm going to go with five. I'm, I'm going to go with two. I thought there was only two occurrences, but maybe it was shorter clips. Doug is spot on receiving the two points so far. He's flawless Mm -hmm. with this music related trivia of this film. I was shocked that it was four times. Like I, I would have thought danger zone definitely was played more, but you're right, Doug, it was four times in this film, which is crazy. But the reason I brought this one up, so crazy, (laughs) not because of any kind of connection with this song, which I do not have and doesn't exist. The topic, which of course is also in the form of a question is chemistry. Do you think that Tom Cruise and the lead, I don't even know her name. What's her name in the movie? Kelly McGill. Oh, oh, the, the character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think they had chemistry? I, every time I watch this movie, I'm like, I'm not buying this. Am I out? Or you guys feeling this? <laughs> I think he had more. He had more chemistry with certain other characters in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> he had more chemistry with Goose and Goose. Yes, Goose and he had more. Yeah, and, and actually Meg Ryan's character. I, I actually that's the movie I wanted to see him run off with her, and she was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, Kelly McGillis had it like a, a fairly quick rise and quick fall off. Um, I think she was married to Fred Ward for years and years, but I think she also came out as, as gay eventually. I think her, her last mm-hmm. marriage was, um, was a, a same sex partner, but yeah, she did. She kind of fell off the edge of the earth after the, the 1990s. Right. Yeah. I just, I, I wanted to bring that up because I, I, I just, I think it takes me out of the film a lot. It just, I don't feel it. Goose is the strongest bond Maverick has in this film. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say the, the kissing was definitely awkward. Yes. I don't know, I don't know that, what was up with that, like, I saw, like Tom tongue Bruce. action. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw Tom Cruise I, trying to stick some tongue down and then yeah. it reciprocated. And yeah. now, now it makes sense that Tom says she's gay. So she, she was holding back. The one of the lifetime fans, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Well, she, I mean, yeah, she, I, or 
bisexual, whatever, whatever it was. But yeah, that's very uncomfortable. I, I think she came out a long, long time after that, though. I think she married it was years the later, guy yeah. before. Yeah. She had two husbands so, before, and I think no, she was nothing to, to do with that, that scene. <laughs> That's just oh, Fred Tillman. I'm sorry, not Fred. Fred Boyd's I don't think right you now. have like a midlife crisis and just turn gay, though. You know, no, but it's. <laughs> it's I I think a lot of it too is Tom Cruise. Tom, I don't I don't know what you guys think. I've never found Tom Cruise convincing as this kind of lover in in movies. I always find his um, his interactions with these kind of with his female stars always a little bit kind of stiff i think part of it is cruz is so in his his like acting style is so energetic it's there's this kind of like um it's like a weightlifter who just keeps pushing to get through it that's always the impression i get with tom cruise roles he's just gritting his teeth to really show you he's working for it which doesn't make really great romance and i think also in this movie especially there's a lot of this effort to paint him as this um romantic bad boy a lot of the dialogues like that there's this sort of way of him looking into the sunset or looking down and looking up it feels very contrived uh and i think it's it's more for me on him than on kelly mcginnis uh though she's kind of cold she actually is without charisma for for this movie i didn't find her that compelling a person and she has an odd vocal quality too right she has you know it's it's like this um like mid-atlantic accent that comes from nowhere that no one actually uses i didn't think about it until you just said that but yes there was something off i didn't know if it was the recording or that's just her delivery but you're right there was something with it's not cadence it's more inflection it's it's an upper class new york accent or something like that it's it's something yeah like an upper east side accent which i find maybe she i mean she has a very respected uh educational pedigree we were made to learn but it is you know i guess maybe they're also going for this kind of like um young up-and-comer meets the well-to-do woman and there's a kind of romance with uh, of people with from different backgrounds but you know that really wasn't developed it's time for question four to wrap up the music-based questions for this episode the righteous brothers you lost that loving feeling was played how many times Ugh. Locked in. Locked in. That's what I was thinking of before. Locked in. Yeah. Tom, start us up. I'm going to say two. I think I know the two times, but, you know, I've been wrong before. Okay, Doug. I'm also going with two. Uh, So this is uh, played in any fashion uh, during the movie. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah, I agree. Mm. Justin? Two times. Well, everyone is getting the two points. However, Doug will be taking down this episode flawlessly with six points, Tom with three, and Justin on the board with two. <laughs> so, as I said, there was Yay, a- Yay, well done. Yes, good job. <laughs> Doug, you know how many times different songs were played during this film? And uh, 
it's it's an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, D- Doug has driven the highway to the danger zone, and he's lifted out about it. So I've been waiting pretty much this whole episode to pose the final topic, which is posed as a question. Is this a movie or a soundtrack? It's a naval recruitment video with a little homoeroticism thrown in because why not? For good measure. For good measure. (laughs) I I think I would say a lot. (laughs) <laughs> not just a little. Not just a little. I, I would argue that <laughs> that it's a gay love story <laughs> with a little bit of naval recruitment thrown in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but really though, like when I just went through these four questions, we've had a total of four songs collectively played ten times. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, there part of the frustration with the movie, you know, we're sort of making fun of the the fact that there's a lot of um, the camera is very lusty on the men and also on the machines. You know, there's this 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 kind of odd, uh, oh god, kind of transhuman sexuality going on. However, the movie does follow the beats of a of a arc of development for Maverick to the extent that they almost seem laughable or unnoticeable. Um, You know, Maverick is the cocky guy. He goes through the hardship. He has to overcome the hardship and then prove that he can get the job done in some way. There is something like a... There are very familiar, almost boring, actually deeply boring story beats that are going on. It's just the, the problem with it is there's no real, there's, there's nothing at stake. I mean, I've said this three or four times this episode already. So you're not really worried about something happening. You're not worried something is, is going to happen. The fact that Goose dies is just entirely an accident. And yes, Doug, you pointed out that Iceman got in the way and, and what have you. Though that that threat is never picked up. He doesn't even seem to be angry at Iceman after what happened. He's, he's not any more angry at him than he was before. So I, yeah. So I think the, the reason this made so much money has to in part due to the fact that it's a vehicle for Tom Cruise. It's one of these things where people kind of recognize this guy's going to be a big name for years and years to come. And it managed to capitalize on that. And then it just sort of lusts over big planes flying very quickly. And, you know, I, I guess that was enough to, to cash in. I do think it's about the planes too, though, because now we have a lot of different media where we see all this, but I think those were more rare and cutting edge back then. So that allure. It's the original Fast and Furious. It's kind of like. I could see what you're going you know, with that. Little side topic uh i happened to watch something that uh that said um fast and furious was basically a remake of point break (laughs) (laughs) undercover (laughs) fbi agent sneak in guy who might be good might be bad Mm. and uh you know is you know like robbing people and it's like oh that makes a lot of sense (laughs) no no surfing unfortunately or skydiving. Uh, well, in later ones, I think they have car skydiving, if that helps you. Right. Tom. That's, thank you. But they go into space, too. So. Oh, well. <laughs> do they? Which one do they go into space? In the space? last one. In the last one. Oh, in the John Cena one? Into space. Yeah. 
I didn't uh, see yep. it, but I did see the one where they outraced a submarine. So there's a lot going on. I feel on. like that isn't hard, right? <laughs> Don't you get the impression a sub submarine probably goes like 40 miles an hour max? Yeah, but the water, you know, like, there's more the elements was, there. The car was in the water? <laughs> I think it was ice. Oh, okay. Right, Doug? No, you don't remember. Yeah, okay. I, it's, it's number seven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think they've done nine of them, right? Yeah. Well, if you count the uh, spinoff, I think you know what's funny. Fast and Furious ends up on this show a lot more than we think. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. So, average speed for a submarine twenty four knots, about a little more than twenty seven miles per hour. So, not very hard for a Ferrari to do. I don't think. Uh, I did see that scene in part seven. But anyway, back to this movie. Um, what were we talking about? I think we're about to move into movie rant so we can talk about uh, anything we want. Can we go back to Fast and the Furious? I think I liked it more. It's time for movie rant. I thought I'd start off movie rant with something light. I mentioned it early on that there was a volleyball related bonus question just in case we needed it. Of course, Doug made sure we didn't. But here goes nothing. We all know you play volleyball better with your shirt off. According to Maverick, what is the ideal clothing article to wear for beach volleyball? Oh, locked in. <laughs> uh, missile lock. Malfunction. <laughs> <laughs> okay, again, it's not it's not for real. So just shout it out. What what is it, guys? Jeans. Jeans. Blue jeans, blue mm. jeans. I, I, what was up with that choice? <laughs> it's, it's very Bruce Springsteen, right? You just, you just see the Born to Run album on the, you know, on on the screen. That's got to be the worst thing when you're like sweating and trying to be mobile and flexible. <laughs> he's trying to get to his date right after, but mm. of course he's late because volleyball is more yeah. important. And he wants to shower when he's there. Right. That's I, I don't know. You know, I haven't gone on a first date in a while, but my understanding is that that is not what you propose when you first get to the person's house. <laughs> but Tom, you're, you're not a rebel. You're not dangerous. Yeah. I guess I just smell good. That's it's <laughs> <laughs> all those pheromones he was trying to uh, get out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole point of this scene is to show, uh, Tom Cruise actually had an interview and he's he's like, the point of the scene is to show that these guys are really hard-edged. They're always competing. They're always fighting it out. And you, you just see, the, you know, whatever the the kind of muscle flexing and the kind of lust the camera has over these these young men aside, like, my God, what a, what a plush life they have, right? Like, whenever they're not flying, they're drinking or partying or playing volleyball in Southern California, you know, that, that I think this is part of the, my, my stakes problem is it just, things seem really good for these people. And maybe that's the appeal of the movie. It's like a male fantasy entirely. There, there isn't even a challenge. You just have to go up, be awesome, look hot and do what you want. You know, rewatching this after, you know, however many years, you know, just to see kind of like the, um, the things that I wouldn't have noticed, like as a kid, like all the, uh, you know, you know, it seems like unintentional, but, the, you know, there's so much of it that, you know, the, the gay in, innuendo. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of remembered some of the things, like how the last line 
that Maverick says to uh, Iceman is, uh, you can be mine, <laughs> you know, <laughs> things like that. But then, you know, on rewatching it, you know, then there's like these lines where like the commanding officer is like, if you take all this, you could, if you can cut all this stuff like out of context, mm-hmm. you know, there's like a commanding officer that says like, I want some butts. And, <laughs> you know, he's referring to like, you know, cause he, he's mad at them for doing the flyby or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I don't think that was their intent. But, I swear. I think that's just, but, but there's so many analyzing. Like, for generations, but I, I don't know how far the whole movie. down this path, but I, I think yeah, no, I don't, I, don't, I think it's I, I, much more yeah, innocent. It, well, I don't know because yeah, at first I was thinking, what if you know maybe this is just one of those like silly theories, uh, but then you know on rewatching it, there's so many of these like loving looks between these guys in these scenes too that it's just like okay, this is this is really weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like how is this all just accidental? Why do these guys have their arms around each other? all the time <laughs> yeah i think it's more camaraderie and then they're trying to show unity but i do understand how uh people have i think overanalyzed it but to each his own <laughs> well, yeah but i think it's also you know these things you know you wouldn't just it wouldn't happen now but like you know in the 80s you know acting certain ways like you know wasn't thought of as as gay mm-hmm. but like looking back at it now there's like certain ways like Another one that I remember was um, Val Kilmer walks like in a funny way in the shower, like, with, you know, just like, like in a towel, just like strutting around. <laughs> it's like, like, really? <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. Like there's this, it, you know, kind of in a non, non-joking way, but there's this kind of homosocial thing going on, right? Like this this world of men who have to do the dangerous thing. And their lasting affection really ends up being for each other. It's the, you know, we could call it a brotherhood or even a family, but the the connotation here is that these people have a sort of found family. And this is especially true of Maverick, who doesn't have a family. His parents are gone and have been gone for years. His longest relationship is with Goose. He can't even maintain a a relationship with women, even though we're, we're led to believe he's quite desirable. And so this idea that you often see in kind of like queer theory of found family, of people who don't belong elsewhere, who don't have a family, so they kind of make their own family. Um, in queer theory, it's because they're queer, you know, the traditional family structures just, just aren't going to work. But here there's something of the same thing. So I think even like joking aside about, uh, you know, the loving looks or whatnot, it is kind of the case that these people have to make their own family. And the fact that, you know, very often the wife or kid is, is kind of delegated to a photograph with the exception of, of Meg Ryan's character um, is, I, I think, speaks to that. And even with Meg Ryan's character, she seems to be as intimate with uh, with Maverick as she is with her husband. He's got his arm around her. It seems like he's as much in that family unit as as Goose is. So I think there is something there besides the fact that it's, it's just very funny. I think the reason why it, it made so much money, besides, I guess, Tom Cruise being a new star, but um, I mean, you can't go wrong with um, Jets, you know? It's just kind of cool just to watch. Like, there's never really been any movies with, probably to, to that degree. Like, I guess that was probably the new, you know, special effects of the time. And, uh, you know, it's just pr- pretty cool. And what better 
I mean, I just think being a fighter pilot is probably one of the most badass things you could ever do in, in ever, you know, possibly, possibly number one. That's like, the, you know, it's pretty, pretty awesome stuff. The reality is most people will never have the experience or the skill to hop in a $30 million in eighties money yeah, jet plane. The, the smartest of the smartest, you know, the quicker yeah. it's. Most people are too tall. I, there's actually a height requirement. Tom Cruise will be fine. Yeah, then. yeah he will. Be. That was another another point. Tim Robbins uh, played Merlin, who was his uh, Rio radar uh, intercept officer, and so he's uh, I believe six five mm-hmm. in real life. <laughs> oh. um, so so it's funny. Also, just because you know, I don't think he was that famous, or maybe not famous at all at that mm-hmm. time. But like you, you know, you don't actually see Tim Robbins' face until like the very end. And then yeah. he's just like towering above everybody else. So I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> I didn't even notice him. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, I, it's also, they spent close to $2 million in 1986 money renting all of this material from the Navy and they developed cameras to attach to the, the plane at different places. So you're not really seeing special effects. You're actually seeing, what it would look like to to be in these planes or what it actually looks like from the wing or whatnot. They developed a camera to attach to the wing so you could see what's going on at these high speeds. They even had one, there's one scene where the the plane takes off and the sun is in the background and the air carrier went off course and they had to pay 25 grand for it to turn around to go back to that place so they could get that shot. And so I think a lot of the appeal also is that you did have this in-depth use and look at naval equipment. Yeah, now you want to see a plane, you can go on YouTube and see a million different copies yeah. of plane mm-hmm. shows and, and all that. But well, back then, tough. it wasn't as accessible to see mm-hmm. these marvels. <laughs> yeah. With the upbeat Danger Zone soundtrack. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Kenny Loggins had a weird career, man. You hear early Kenny Loggins, like Loggins Messina stuff. It's really folky. I was going to say, I thought he was more of like a, like a relaxed kind of country type of. It, his early stuff was like really folky. Yeah. I didn't um, realize like that my was my parents' wedding song was um, Danny's song. Uh, the we ain't got money. I'm so in love with right, you. Right, right. With your honey. Oh, yeah, Everything yeah, yeah. will be. Yeah, it's a totally different sound. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's completely different. Yeah, and that's a, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, that mm-hmm. kind of, that's. Yeah. Then he was working with Doobie Brothers, right? Um, mm. What's the Doobie Brothers song they won a Grammy for that he did with. Uh, Just listen uh, to the music? No, it's later than that. The Doobie Brothers song Loggins did was. Um, I can't even sing it it's it's uh uh what a fool believes (laughs) (laughs) give me more tom give me more (laughs) i haven't figured it out yet (laughs) what a fool what a fool believes by the doobie brothers kenny loggins wrote the song with um Michael, is it Michael McDowell? Who was the guy who came? He was later Doobie Brothers. It was not like the early stuff. You guys aren't Doobie Brothers experts, are you? No. Nope. <laughs> I just read today that um, an, a, a stunt person actually died filming the movie, um, driving, I guess, you know, one of the, the jets. 
and they say there was a similar to you know when they went into the spin in the movie i think kind of the same thing actually happened to, to a real one of the people um driving the the jets in the, in the movie that's crazy and they died in the movie and I, I was you know at the end i was thinking oh they're gonna put it like r.i.p or something and they didn't even put it you know wow. I, for the credits i think he, i feel he, like they would do that today yeah it's kind of i mean that's it's kind of disrespectful yeah oh yeah it's art shoal was the art show yeah mm-hmm well, I'm I'm glad we could. Oh, it's a, a camera plane. Yeah. Art Scholl here. Oh, mm-hmm. camera plane. Yeah, I guess he was in a plane, uh, a camera plane. So a plane, filming the, the planes. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Uh, no, I think I think it's good that Art Scholl's name gets out there because I think they should have said something to yeah. uh, honor him. Mm-hmm. I would say so. Yeah, suppose he was a pilot, and I guess that was his skill, that he would fly things around and, and they would use him to bring the cameras to where they needed to. Um, I guess, you know, just kind of mentioning or following up with what Tom was saying about the practical effects, um, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, that's something like that Tom Cruise is known for in his other movies as well, like the Mission Impossible movies, you know, and and it does show... I mean, you know, this movie, I think, I think the, the action sequences dated well, you know, because it's not bad CGI from the eighties, uh, you know, um, and, and I think that's part of what makes Tom Cruise so, um, bankable now as a star, I would, I would guess, you know, this, this was probably his first like real action movie. And so he, I'm guessing, you know, he kind of stuck with that. Um, that philosophy of trying to keep as many practical effects as possible. Um, you know, and I think it worked, you know, Mission Impossible 6, you know, the sixth movie in the franchise, you know, I think was the best one and, you know, just crazy, crazy stunts. So this new one, uh, the sequel to Top Gun, I think they're doing the same stuff and probably pushing it even further and, you know, with better, uh, better cameras these days. Um, you know, I think it should be pretty impressive. So I'm looking forward. I'll probably see it in theaters. Yeah, I would agree. It, it didn't really get outdated, like the special effects and stuff. Like being the, the last one we did was Batman Returns. And it was just, you know, probably around the same year that, that they came out. But that one just seemed so outdated with the music scenes. Um, just so 80s, like terribly outdated. But um this one, you know, it's it has its faults, but um, it doesn't really scream out like oh, super outdated '80s. You know, even the music is you know still pretty good. I had the same thought. One thing we may have discounted when we were talking about the allure of this film is the fact that this would have been on the big screen in the mid '80s. So imagine those jets roaring by, missiles being launched. Right now, I'm watching it at home on some pretty good systems, but that might have been really a shocker at that period of time. Something else I read was that it was one of the first VHSs that was priced to own. So I don't, you know, I don't remember the price of things, you know, when I was like two years old when this came out. But apparently, uh, VHSs were like a hundred dollars, uh, and this is like '80s movies, '80s uh, money. So that's why, you know, you could only really get it from the video store, you know, because people weren't going to spend that much 
um, or you might not even be able to just go to a store and buy it for a hundred bucks. Uh, so I think you know, they had some kind of uh, like Pepsi commercial or something, you know, which helped bring the cost down. But I think it was one of the uh, one of the movies that kind of started the home uh, VHS market going. And so that probably, you know, led to a lot of uh, uh, video sales in addition to the box office. That makes sense. I didn't know what they cost because in my head, I'm only thinking about when I kind of understood the cost of things, which wouldn't have been in the early 80s. I would have been way too young. No wonder my parents never bought me that either. Yeah. Speaking to Doug's point about practical effects, the new Top Gun Maverick has uh, designed a new camera to fit inside of the jet planes they'll be using. So they're going to be expanding upon those those practical effects and the new feature. I also wouldn't be surprised if if Tom Cruise actually flew <laughs> a lot of the uh, sequences because he is. I, I actually heard that. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And a lot of the other actors are as well. I don't want to say he overacts, but it's like, it's kind of boring. This oh, he does. Yeah. Borderline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the edge. <laughs> yeah. Just when he's, when he's standing there in front of the colonel or whatever, just like the way he's moving his body and stuff. I'm like, this guy really kind of overacting a little bit. Well, someone who was worthy of all his achievements, unlike Maverick in some of these scenes, was Doug, who took down this episode in a flawless victory. Doug, congratulations once again. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) You can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts, on our YouTube channel, Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com. We're extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. Have you lost that loving feeling? Why or why not? Let us know on Twitter, TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com, or give us a call at 201-467-8679. Thanks again, Doug and Justin, for joining us today. Always great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad that you're humble and aren't gloating too about your flawless victory. So thanks, Doug. You can find me on Twitter at ThomasLayman15 and check out our sister podcast, Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side. I can also be found on Twitter at The Nicknamed. Join us next time as we continue our military movie block to prepare for Top Gun 2 when we discuss Tom's recommendation from 1989, Casualties of War. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. Hey. Next week, we'll be discussing Casualties of War. Ragnar, how was your watch? It was a very memorable watch because it's one of the few times I had no clue what this movie was going to be about, just that it was directed by Brian De Palma. Uh, So I was almost expecting kind of a thriller. Um, but what I got was incredibly heavy, uh, incredibly uh, introspective about characters. You know, there is a plot, but it's not quite uh, a very fleshed out thriller plot. So it was it was a very deep and uh, difficult to watch character study. And I really, really appreciated that I was engaged the whole time. I probably won't be watching this again anytime soon. 
but I am very happy that I watched it. It was very affecting. What about you, Margaret? So um, I came at this film, this was also a first time watch for me. And I came at this film as someone who has seen very few Vietnam War films. I've seen uh, Apocalypse Now and I've seen Forrest Gump and that's pretty much it. Um, and I had a pretty deep skepticism coming into this film, largely because I'm really skeptical of narratives that are focused on the brutalization of a woman as a central plot uh, point. Um, but I did read the New Yorker piece titled Casualties of War to kind of prep myself. And that was, that was incredibly helpful. Um, and it kind of gave me a framing question for this, for this viewing. Um, and that was this question that the, the soldier had with, with uh, the interviewer, which was a generic question about the function of narrative and processing trauma. Um, and he tried to put this narrative in a legal case to make sense of it. It didn't work. He put the narrative in this journalistic sense. Um, and there was still this lack of resolution. So I looked at the film to think of it as a, another type of narrative um, to process uh, trauma. Um, and I think that it did that well to some extent. And, failed in other ways, but it was it's definitely worth watching. How about you, Tom? I saw this movie, I think in 2003, so some years ago, and I saw it as part of a, a film class. And I, not exactly like Margaret, but I, I have a skepticism of Vietnam War movies. I've seen very few that I've liked. I, I'm one of the few people who doesn't like Apocalypse Now. I'm sorry, I have no idea what that movie is supposed to be about. There's a lot of like random, dialogue about surfing. Uh, but anyway, um, the same thing with Platoon. I'm not a big Platoon fan. And it was, uh, you know, an odd thing because you're getting an 80s uh, Michael J. Fox as well, which was unexpected in this role. But I I really love it. I also really loved De Palma, so that's that's part of the thing. Um, I really like David Rabe, the screenwriter. I'm, I'm familiar with some of his plays. And he his work tends to be about how war makes psychopaths, and he's a good writer for this type of this type of work. And upon revisiting it, and it's been, I think it's been decades since I've seen it. I, I, it was much more overpowering this time than when I first saw it. So in my late thirties, it was much much more affecting than in my early twenties when I first encountered it, and. I, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite an overwhelming movie. Um, it's a very, very hard movie to get through, but it's also, uh, it also has that kind of um, sort of sublime aspect. I mean, it's incredible to look at, it's filmed wonderfully. And even when the script goes awry, which I think it does sometimes, it's, it's not a perfect script. Uh, I remember uh, Pauline Kael said that, you know, great movies have flaws in referring to this and kind of good movies just sort of don't really, they just don't reach heights. However, I think De Palma's camera work is is well suited to this and especially the scene when um, the woman is killed on the uh, on the same bridge where they, they actually filmed uh, the bridge over the River Kwai, actually it's that same location, uh, is incredibly haunting visuals. And to a certain extent, you almost want to kind of turn off the sound or turn off the, the dialogue and just watch a lot of these visuals. But that was my, that was my, maybe my, my second impression, my second watch of the movie. So I, I lied when I said I'd give you my first. 
So um, did KJ prep you guys that the guest question is each one of you tell us what you think your own sequel would be if you could make a sequel and it doesn't have to be the new sequel that's coming out. Yeah. Uh, I did just see this in the, uh, in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> I was that's, not prepped before. Yeah, I'm not really prepped. <laughs> I don't know. That was the, KJ, <laughs> KJ, we're docking your pay. <laughs> no, I did. I did see that. That was oh, just good. the only one. I didn't write anything down for it. Cool. I have to think about this. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm winging it right now. Good one. <laughs> I'll let okay. I'll leave with Justin and get Doug. You need a moment. You want me to wing it then? Okay, yeah. wing yeah, it. Go for it. Go <laughs> for it. Wing man it. 